0: Shall we turn to the prophecy of Isaiah chapter 58? Isaiah 58. And uh, we read the whole um, chapter. We can take turns and read. uh, um, This chapter has about 14 verses. Someone can read seven and another person can read another seven verses.
1: They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right. And has not forsaken the commands of its God. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and is striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen, only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is it what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? Is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen, to loose the chains of injustice and untie the cords of the yoke, to set the oppressed free and break every yoke? Is it not to share your food with the hungry and to provide the poor wanderer with shelter when you see the naked to clothe him and not to turn away from your own flesh and blood?
0: Someone
2: else can read. And your righteousness shall go before you. The glory of the Lord shall be your rear God. Then you shall call and the Lord will answer. He shall cry and he will say, Here I am. If you take away the yoke from your midst, the pointing of the finger and speaking wickedness, if you extend your soul to the hungry and satisfy the afflicted soul, then your light shall dawn in the darkness and your darkness shall be as the noonday. The Lord will guide you continually and satisfy your soul in drought and strengthen your bones. (coughs) You shall be like a watered garden and like a spring of water whose waters do not fail. Those from among you shall build the old waste places. You shall raise up the foundations of many generations. And you shall be called the repairer of the breach, the restorer of streets to dwell in. If you turn away your foot from the Sabbath, from doing your pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy day of the Lord honorable, and shall honor him, not doing your own ways, nor finding your own pleasure, nor speaking your own words, then you shall delight yourself in the Lord, And I will cause you to ride on the high hills of the earth and feed you with the heritage of Jacob your father. The mouth of the Lord has spoken.
0: Shall we pray? Father, we come to you in Jesus' name. Lord, we pray that you would speak to us. We pray that you would give us an enlightenment of your word. We pray that you'll open our eyes of understanding. We pray that you'll give us receptive hearts to receive your word. We pray that you would speak to us in a profound way. We pray that... Our life will be changed and transformed from this morning onwards. Lord, we pray that we would experience a change. Lord, we pray that our prayers, our petitions, our fastings will not go in vain, but will truly be a delight and uh, Lord, will be an acceptable sacrifice unto you. That you will, Lord, accept and uh, bless us in return. We pray your blessing upon everyone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. This is uh, certainly a passage that is uh, sp- speaking much about fasting. Fasting, um, and the, as the people of God came together and as they fasted, as they sought the Lord, um, this was an instruction that God gave them as to how they ought to be doing it. You know, um, many people are used to fasting, many people do fast and pray. Uh, Of course, we do fast and pray once a month as a church together. Uh, We also spend time fasting and praying uh, personally alone, maybe when we have some specific needs. We fast and pray um, as a family together, maybe when we face some problems together as a whole family, probably when there's a sickness or there's a financial need or when there is... Uh, something for which we need to seek for god 's will, we fast and pray, but the passage is um, of course dealing with fasting, but it 's not the the focus is not about abstinence from having a meal. Normally, the whole focus of fasting goes into not eating, and very often um, uh, there are a lot of people who fast but never pray, and that is starving. <laughs> You know, fasting without praying is starving. And so, if you are working, and if you are going to work, um, and if you have worked through the day, don't fast. If you are fasting, set up. That's about setting apart time to be before God. It's not about saying, "I will not eat. I will beat myself down, and somehow God will do something for me." You know, that is a different philosophy. That's the philosophy of the world. But biblically, it's about setting apart time. That's what the Sabbath is all about. And in that context, uh, the prophecy of Isaiah is also speaking about keeping the Sabbath. Again, Sabbath is not to, something to be ceremonially kept where I will not light my gas stove. I will not uh, uh, you know, go out. I will not do anything. I will not speak to anybody. It's not in the legalistic sense of... Um, Shutting oneself down like uh, sitting in a prison cell, but it is about setting apart time to spend before God, having a time of rest, you know, in the body, mind, and soul, and reflecting on what God has done and looking at His Word and having a time with God. It's it's a time which truly gives you the rest, um, you know, which you f- where you find rest in God where you find peace in the presence of God, where you find restfulness and you are refreshed again. That is what Sabbath is all about. Now, and so having said that, so the passage, although it specifically is talking about addressing the issue of fasting, um, this is the uh, the larger context is actually addressing the issue of how the people of Israel were calling on God but they were not heard they were praying but their prayers were not heard they were seeking him but god was not responding to them they were fasting and praying but there was no answer to those fasting and prayers that is a larger issue that is a real issue there and so when you read this and especially in some of our Bibles, some of the translators would have Uh, given titles, if you have a modern translation like an NIV or ESV or many other translations, many of those uh, translations would have, um, you know, a title on the top of it and saying fasting. And so naturally when we read through, we get into that thinking that the whole passage is dealing about fasting. Of course, it does touch on fasting, but the whole idea is not just about fasting and how to fast, but it's talking about why God is not answering prayers, why God is not responding to the fasting and prayer. Are you with me this morning? Amen. And so uh, that's where, that's why it's important that we read the whole passage and not just bits and pieces of verses here and there. Um, so this passage is addressing the issues like, what is the hindrance that hinders our prayers being answered what is the hindrance that hinders our blessings from coming down to us why does it look like god has not taken notice of our prayers why does it look like god has not taken notice of our fasting why is there no answer why isn't there any benefit or outcome in return for all the fasting and prayer why isn't there a true experience of god's presence and his manifest power we have been sincerely seeking the Lord, sacrificially seeking the Lord, sacrificing our meal, sacrificing our time. We've been sincerely seeking the Lord. We seem to be eager to know his ways. We want to know what are his ways. When we are in a point of major decisions in life, we fast and pray. We go to a servant of God and pray. We ask people to pray. Please pray. I don't know what to do. You know, this girl is you know thin, tall, fair. That girl is, you know, short, dark, and fat. What do I do? What decision should I take? We're caught between two. Hello? Has anybody thought of th- those things? No one here. You know, difficult decisions to take. And then we are caught between, you know, many choices. Whether it is a professional, uh, with regard to a profession, whether it's regard to our uh, Choosing of a life partner, whether it's regarding to, uh, with regard to an education, a job, or a path of career that we need to choose. Whatever be it, we are always in the middle of some decision that we have to take. We are on the crossroads of our life, where we find several ways we can turn, and we don't know which way to go. And so in such critical moments, we ask God, we pray. We want God to give us his direction. We want uh, um, you know, uh, him to help us in our decisions. And so in times like these, we pray and then we seem to find no answer. We are asking God for his ways. We are asking God for his wisdom. We are asking God for, his, for decisions to be made. And we are also eager for God to come to us. We are asking him, Lord, I want to be near you. Come, be with me. But we never experience his presence. So this is the context, this is the kind of situation where the people of Israel were were at. And God is just simply giving them this one uh, response. And I've just summed up this whole thing into just three words. There are no two ways, no two ways with God. There are no two ways with God, there's only one way. But the people of Israel were going and approaching God and they had two ways. You are wondering, what is that? What does it mean? Two ways. One way is sincerely seeking God as I just described, asking God for his decision, uh, asking God uh, uh, you know, to come and be with uh, us, asking God uh, to have his favor on our lives, sincerely and sacrificially seeking him, fasting and praying, doing all the religious routines rightly. That is one way, but the other way they had was what God was exposing that to them. And we're going to find that out. So number one is God's expose. The word expose simply means that exposing something which is really not right. And here you find God doing that. Read with me from verses one to five. Shout it aloud, do not hold back, raise your voice like a trumpet, declare to my people their rebellion. And to the house of Jacob their sins. For day after day, they seek me out. These are very religious people. Verse 2 says, day after day, they had their everyday prayer. They had their daily personal prayer. They had their family prayer. They read the Bible. Day after day, they seek me out. They seem eager to know my ways as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of the God, of his God. They were seeking me, him, they were praying every day, they were eager to know his ways, but as if they were a nation that does what is right and has not forsaken the commands of its God. Are you able to understand what God is saying there? Hey, they are seeking me, they, they seem to be very sincere, they want to know my ways, but they're doing it as if they are very good in keeping all my commands and following my ways. In other words, what he's saying is, that's where it's going two ways. One is seeking him. The other is they are not keeping my commands. They have forsaken my commands. They are not a nation that does what is right. They ask me for just decisions and seem eager for God to come near them. Why have we fasted, they say, and you have not seen it? Why have we humbled ourselves and you have not noticed? Yet on the day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and in striking each other with wicked fists, you cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself. Is it not only for bowing one's Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is that what you call a fast? A day acceptable to the Lord? Read with me verse 5 again. Is this the kind of fast I have chosen? Only a day for a man to humble himself? Is it all about just Second Saturday? Only one day? Is it only for bowing one's head like a reed and for lying on sackcloth and ashes? Is it just about falling prostrate? And is it just all about that external action or the posture? And for lying on sackcloth and ashes, is that what you call a fast, a day acceptable to the Lord? So God is basically exposing them to this reality of who they are while they are very sincere in what they are doing, while they uh, are sacrificially, uh, you know, skipping their meals and fasting and praying, God is just telling them, you seem to be eager to know my ways. You seem to be a nation, um, as if you are like a nation that seem that is doing everything right and not forsaking my commandments. You are asking for just decisions. You are seeking me f- You seem to be eager to come near me. And you're asking, oh, God has not answered. God has not done anything for me. God doesn't seem to take notice of all my fasting and praying. God doesn't seem to take notice of my situation. God doesn't seem to change my problems. But he says, yet on that day of your fasting, you do as you please. You exploit all your workers. You're fasting ends and quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists. You cannot fast as you do today and expect your voice to be heard on high. It's a very clear uh, way God is exposing what actually the real problem is. You know, this is one of the uh, things where, uh, which is an amazing grace of God, where God actually speaks to his people and tells them, hey, this is why things are not happening. This is why miracles are not happening. This is why you're not finding answers. This is why it seemed to be like, you know, I have not taken notice. God's exposing him. God speaks about how they're calling on him. They're calling on him the right way, day after day. Shouldn't, isn't that a right thing to do? That's the right thing to do. That's, that, that's something that we, we, must, we must do. We do, I believe. Amen. We do, I believe. Hallelujah. Day after day, we are calling out to him. We seem to be eager to know his ways. Basically, God was just exposing their hypocrisy. God was exposing their duplicity. God was exposing that they are on one side seeking Him very sincerely. They're doing everything right. They're going through the religious routines very well. But on the other side, there is strife, there is conflicts, there is quarreling, there is exploitation, there is injustice. Their duplicity is hidden from their own eyes, their falsehood is unseen for themselves. Their false assumption of living right is invisible to their eyes. Their intention to seek God is true with no realization that their actions hinder them in coming to him. They do not realize that even though they are praying right, they are truly seeking God, the intention of seeking God is true. They do not realize that their actions are hindering those prayers, their actions are hindering, their own lives are a hindrance for God to do a miracle in their lives, for God to deliver them from captivity. It is, it is their own lives which are, have become a hindrance. But they are blind to it. They do not see it. They have lost the sensitivity to detect sin. That's a dangerous place to be in. Losing our sensitivity to detect our own sin Our own folly. Psalm 36. Read with me in Psalm 36. Verses 1 to 4. You see, man looks at the face. God looks at the heart. Psalm 36, 1 to 4. An oracle is within my heart concerning the sinfulness of the wicked. There is no fear of God before his eyes. Verse 2. For in his own eyes he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. Just, just imagine what will happen if a bomb detector doesn't work in the airport. <laughs> huh? And you get on that flight and there's someone sitting next to you probably who's got something planted under a seat. And that's exactly what can happen if we don't detect sin. It's even more dangerous than that because a bomb can only kill the body. But sin can kill the soul. Amen. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much. Oh, we speak of ourselves. How good I am. How godly I am. How prayerful I am. How holy I am. How sincere I am. How much I serve God. How much I've been sacrificing all my life for God. How much I've been sacrificially serving God. How much I've been sincerely giving, you know, all my tithes, my offerings. How I've been very faithful to God. Sometimes we can flatter ourselves in our own eyes too much. Sometimes we may not say it out much. Some people say it out too much. And we know that they are into self-flattery. But some people will not say it. But they think of themselves when they see others, I'm better than that person. That man never comes for fasting prayer. I come every second Saturday. We can flatter ourselves in our own eyes. Say I'm better than them. I'm more godly than them. I'm more on time than that, you know, auntie. In fact, I'm the first to come to church. I come and open the door itself. I'm the one who switches on the lights. I'm better than others. We can have this feeling that I am better. We can flatter ourselves within, think big of ourselves. I'm better. I'm better. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. We can look at the sin of others and think that I have no sin. The words of his mouth, verse 3, are wicked and deceitful. He has ceased to be wise and to do good. Even on his bed he plots evil. He commits himself to a sinful course and does not reject what is wrong. He commits himself to a sinful course. Where there is, there are things that are, um, Not right in the heart, not right in the intentions, not right in the behavior, not right in the attitude. We can be looking at others and saying, oh, he is like that, my husband is like that. Oh, pastor is rightly saying, today my husband should have heard this message. (laughs) We might be saying, oh, my son should have heard that message. Exactly, he nailed it on the head. He's sitting right there on the other side. I wish that's going into him. And we can be thinking it's for someone else and not for us. Amen. For in his own eyes, he flatters himself too much to detect or hate his sin. Oh, you know, we have been very good. You know, my father, my grandfather, we are all exceptionally great. You know, my grandfather only built that church itself. You know, and for so many generations, you know, how many people we have made them to live, how many families we have helped them to come up in life, you know, how many marriages we have restored, you know, how many uh, people we have turned them from their wrong ways, you know, how much money we have given, countless thousands of rupees, lakhs of rupees we have given for others. We can be flattering ourselves. I have never done anything wrong against anybody. I have never thought anything. Such things never come to my mind at all. We can flatter ourselves in our own eyes. And God is just exposing them and saying, hey, day after day you are seeking me. You ask me for just decisions. You are eager to come near to me. They're sitting in sackcloth and ashes. They are uh, fasting and praying. They're bowing down their heads like a reed. They choose a day and they humble themselves before God. All that is right. But still God is saying, there are two ways in your life. And so the title for this morning's message is, No Two Ways. There are no two ways with God. God's expose is their duplicity, which is hidden in their own eyes. And God is not mincing words. The two important things that God is telling there in verse, um, if you come back to Isaiah chapter 58, and verse number 3 and 4, the latter part of verse 3, yet on that day of your fasting, you do as you please and exploit all your workers. Basically, it's an issue of injustice. You do as you please. You exploit all your workers, injustice, exploiting of the weak, being unjust, being unfair. Sometimes you might say, oh, I'm not uh, that kind of a landlord. I'm not a zamindar. I don't have any bonded laborers, you know, in my house. I'm not exploiting anybody. But we can be um, paying less for our maids who come and sweep and mop the floor. If the market value is 3,000 rupees, we can be paying 1,500 rupees. There was a family who wanted some help, uh, you know, a maid who would come and help them with cooking. And so Selvi helped them uh, to find the person, the person who was working, uh, you know, here at our place, and uh, sent, them, sent her there, referred her there. And uh, there, in that same apartment, there are two families there. There is in two different buildings, two different blocks. The one family, uh, you know, which uh, was in a conversation with this maid, wanted to fix her up for the job. There are only about two or three people in that family, but they want some 15 or 20 chapatis for dinner. And, and a whole long list of the menu that was told. And what they were trying to do is to get everything cooked there, actually for two families at the expense of paying for one family. You get what I'm saying? The sister's family live in the next block and where this maid would not be going to two houses, work in one house, but cook for two families and pay her for one. Smart idea, isn't it? People think they're very smart. This lady said, no, I can't do that. I can't work so much. She didn't know that there was another sister's family living there in the same uh, compound. You see how people, this is how people exploit the weak. This is just one of the examples. There can be many, many ways where we can be exploiting people. We can be exploiting people who work under us, who report to us. We can be exploiting our clients. We can be exploiting our customers. The order of the day is give a convincing answer, which means tell a lie, fool him, exploiting. They will promise one and do another, that is exploiting. They will give half information about something, they will say, sir, you just have to pay 100 rupees, you have to pay just 200 rupees, immediately the card will come, immediately everything will be done, you will get all the benefits. And then after you've paid the money and you signed the papers the next day, nobody will take, pick the phone. Haven't you seen that in the world today? Exploitation. It's not just in business. It's not just in the secular world. It can happen even in us, even in our lives. We can be exploiting one another. In other words, manipulating one another. Manipulation of saying one thing to one person, another thing to another person. And then make something happen by telling one here, one there, by telling a lie, blatant lie, and making it sound like it's the truth. That is exploitation, that is manipulation, that is injustice. And we can be doing all of this and we can think that nobody knows, and we may not even realize, as the scripture says in Psalm 36, we may not even detect that as sin, it can become part of our nature if that is part of the family culture of the previous generations, it can be in our blood. We can be behaving the same way. We can be doing and doing things the same way. In a very subtle way. In a very sly way. In a very quiet way. In a way when someone else is not hearing, whisper into somebody else's ear. It can be done. And that is what the Bible is talking about. Those are the things that hinder prayer. Those are the things that make all the fasting and prayer go in vain. Those are the things that make all our spirituality just of no value and no purpose, no use and no benefit. And so God is telling the people of Israel, exposing them to this reality. And he says, uh, when you come, when you fast, you do as you please and exploit people. You unjust. And not only that, verse 4, your fasting ends in quarreling and strife and striking each other with wicked fists, conflicts, violence, a spirit of hatred, anger, resentment, bitterness, harboring bitterness. That can hinder our prayers being answered. That can uh, stop the blessings and that can hinder the breakthroughs. These are issues that deal with interpersonal relationships. There's no love, true love. There's no display of true godly character. People can see the duplicity. We don't see our our own duplicity. That's the most fatal mistake to make. Imagining that others will never notice what we do or how we behave. The greatest, the most fatal, you know, thing that we can do for ourselves is to imagine that nobody will take notice of our character our attitude or our behavior and imagine that you know we can put on a good show on the outside that's something which we will be digging a pit for ourselves that is something which will not help us to win god's favor we can be praying hard we can be fasting we can be asking We can be petitioning. We can ask everybody in the world to pray. We can contact all the prophets in the world. Even across oceans. We can even get Pastor Benny Hinn to pray. But God will not move. We can get Dr. Paul to lay hands on our head. But nothing will change. As long as there is duplicity in our life. And so God is exposing the people of Israel to their own, you know, pride, their own ego, their own lack of uh, looking at the interest of others, their own, he's, he's showing their own selfishness. He's showing them how they are not esteeming others truly, how they don't value others, how there is no true unity, how there is no true forgiveness and love with each other. It's only a external, you know, goody-goody, nice behavior on the outside lot of spiritual activity, religious routine that is done, religious talk, but there is duplicity, the two ways going on in their lives, that is God's exposure, that's the first part, the second one is God's exhortation, He's giving them a teaching, verse 6 and 7, is not this the kind of fasting I have chosen? You know, they themselves were unjust. They were exploiting others. They were manipulating others. They were doing things which was done behind closed doors, but outside it was all good spiritual display. And God is exhorting them and saying, "Loose the chains of injustice. And so to truly seek God is not an external activity of abstaining from food, bowing the head down, lying in sackcloth and ashes. It's not about going through some religious routines, rituals to appease God for some benefits. Some people think that on the way, if I just throw some money at some offering box in some place of worship, some people think if they just, you know, show up their head on on a Sunday morning and just uh, go to a church and come back, it gives some kind of a satisfaction. Some think that if they just have prayed for the day, they don't feel guilty that they didn't pray today. And so they somehow pray and read the Bible. But truly, they're not losing the chains of injustice. an injustice of various kinds. Injustice which is based on caste feelings. Injustice which is based on economic differences. Injustice that is fa- based on social, you know, uh, culture. You know, someone is not of my culture. Racial differences. Some injustice that are done, done based on gender bias. Biased on our decisions. We favor one over the other. We love one and dislike the other. We give room for our prejudice. We need to treat people the same way. We respect one, we disrespect another. We love one, we hate the other. We care for one, we don't care for the other. That is what God is saying is not this the kind of fasting I've chosen to loose the chains of injustice? Injustice. John's Gospel, chapter 4. Read with me in verses 7 to 9. This is why Jesus actually took the whip. I'm sorry, uh, not, uh, it's not that passage. It's the passage of uh, the Samaritan woman. The prejudice that Jesus broke john's gospel chapter 4 verse 7 to 9 when a samaritan woman came to draw water jesus said to her will you give me a drink and his disciples had gone into the town to buy food the samaritan woman said to him you are a jew and i'm a samaritan woman how can you ask me for a drink for jews do not associate with samaritans these are low caste these are people i don't like I don't like them because they come from that kind of a background. I don't like them because they speak that kind of a language. I don't like them looking down, exploiting, treating unfairly, losing the chains of injustice. We must be careful that we are not, you know, biased in our, uh, in our relationship with others. And then he talks about untying the cords of the yoke, setting the oppressed free, breaking every yoke. People, you know, put burdens on others, oppress them. They, they, they exploit the weak, they oppress the weak, they suppress the weak, they hold the, the weak under their tight fists. They make them to carry burdens. In our country, you find that people can't draw water from the same well as others because just because they're from a different caste. They can't go into a place of worship because they are from another caste. They can't walk through the short route through the, across the village because they are from another caste. They can't come through the main road in the village. And if, if a person has lost her husband, you know, if somebody sees them, they think it's a bad omen because they saw a widow. What kind of a country we live in. These are things, mindsets that will be there in our minds. These are thinkings. These are beliefs. These are practices. These are imaginations, thoughts that will be in us. We may feel uncomfortable to, you know, drink or eat something in the house of someone who is from a different caste. These are things that are of the world. And if we have such things, have you seen sometimes people even give, Um, arms, they'll make sure that it doesn't touch their hands. Before they receive it, they'll drop it off and it'll fall down and they'll have to bend down and take it. Basically the whole idea is fall at my feet and pick it up. But they'll do it in a very subtle way. Those are things that are there in our country. Some of you are foreigners to India. Even though you were born here, you don't know such things, that they exist. Dead must be forgiven. Widows and orphans and fatherless are exploited. People who are weak, people who are financially weak, people who are, uh, you know, uh, physically weak, people who are emotionally weak, are manipulated or oppressed. People who are uh, younger, people who are in lesser positions are exploited, are crushed, are oppressed. These are things when we do, when we take a high hand, some people have a high handedness. They will dictate everything and everybody. They will command everybody and shout at everyone and and put down everyone and, and say only what they say is right high handedness, they will take the decision for others. They won't let others live their life. They won't allow others to have their freedom of choice. Being pushy on others is oppression. Oppression, not allowing others to tell their opinion. Everybody has to think like me. If you think differently from me, you shut up your mouth and sit down. That's oppression, that's a yoke. Those are things that God hates. Those were the sins of the people of Israel. You see, these are things that mostly never gets noticed in our life. We don't detect these things as wrong things. We will justify it and say, I was telling only for their good only. But you don't allow others to live the way they want to live. You don't allow others to take their decisions. We can get very high-handed, pushy, harsh, angry be shouting, be yelling, being manipulated. Those are oppressions that the scripture is talking about. Untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke. The the weak were loaded with burdens. They were suppressed, oppressed. Some are severe without any kindness and mercy. Turn with me to Matthew's gospel, chapter 5 and verse number 7. You see, Jesus speaks about it. In the Sermon on the Mount, Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. They never show any mercy. They never forgive others. They lord it over others. Matthew chapter 18. Verse 21 to 35 we read. Matthew 18, 21 to 35. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother when he sins against me up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you not seven times, but 77 times. Seven times 70 in some translations. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began the settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 talents was brought to him since he was not able to pay the master ordered that he and his wife and his children all that he had be sold to repay the debt the servant fell on his knees before him be patient with me he begged and i will pay back everything the servant's master took pity on him cancelled the debt and let him go but when that servant went out he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii he grabbed him and began to choke him Pay back what you owe me, he demanded his fellow servant fell on his knees and begged him, begged him, be patient with me, and I will pay you back, but he refused. instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could not uh, until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw. What had happened, they were greatly distressed and went and told their master everything that had happened. And the master called the servant in, you wicked servant. He said, I cancelled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master turned him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all that he owed. This is how my father, heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brothers from your heart so the one man who owed much, he was forgiven by the master, but he had someone else who owed to him, but he wouldn't forgive him. He got delivered from his yoke. He got delivered from his debt, but he would not forgive the other person who has a debt. He would not forgive the other person who owes him. He would oppress. He would be harsh. He would be angry, He would, you know, oppress him. He says, he begs, I don't have. Help me, give me some time. But he would not listen. Even though he was forgiven, he would not forgive others. And so we who have been forgiven, we should forgive others. We who have been delivered from oppression, we should not oppress others. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. That's the exhortation that God is giving. Untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free, break every yoke. And then he goes on to say in Isaiah, we're reading from Isaiah chapter uh, 58 verses 6 and 7. In verse 7 he says, provide for those in need. Not to turn a blind eye. When people need food, when people need shelter, when people need clothing, when people need something. They need some help. They need maybe uh, a word of comfort. They maybe need uh, someone who can listen to their story. Someone who can listen to their problems. Sometimes we can be very insensitive to people. While they are hurting, we could be accusing them. And that's what they were doing. The people of Israel were doing. In Isaiah chapter 58, we see, read with me in verse... uh, Verse 9 and 10, then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. If you do away with the yoke of oppression, with a pointing finger and malicious talk, if you spend yourselves in behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will be like the noonday. So God is clearly concerned about those who are being oppressed, those who are in need and... It's not just about doing some charity. It's about doing ourselves a favor where our heart, our life, our intentions, our minds are clear from any form of guilt where God will not hold us accountable for any wrongdoing. Amen. So that our prayers will be answered, so that the blessings that are hindered will come, so that the fasting and prayer will truly be something that will be acceptable to God. Just attending a fasting prayer is not enough. But when will the fasting and prayer work? When will it produce results? When would God answer prayer? When we follow God's exhortation, when we lose the chains of injustice, when we untie the cords of the yoke, set the oppressed free. Break every yoke and provide for those in need. Jesus said in Matthew's gospel chapter 25. Matthew 25. Read with me verses 31 to 40. Matthew 25, 31 to 40. When the son of man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his throne in heavenly glory. All the nations will be gathered before him and he will separate the people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. He will put the sheep on his right and the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, come you who are blessed by my father, take your inheritance, the kingdom prepared for you since the creation of the world. Verse 35, for he says, for I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. I was a stranger and you invited me in. I needed clothes and you clothed me. I was sick and you looked after me. I was in prison and you came to visit me. And the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and gave you something to drink? When did we see you a stranger and invite you in or needing something, needing clothes and a cloth and clothe you? When did we see you sick or in prison to go visit you? The king will reply, I tell you the truth, whatever you did for one of the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. Hallelujah. Whatever we even did for the least of these brothers of mine, you did it for me. And so any prayer, fasting or external spiritual activity with injustice, bias, putting on a yoke on the weak, manipulating them, because of their vulnerable position or helplessness and not providing for those who are in need and having a heart of love and compassion. Without all of this, nothing of all our spiritual activity will ever produce any result unless we get out of all of these things. Nothing is of any value or will catch God's attention. A self-seeking, self-gratifying, self-interest-oriented life is not biblical. I repeat, a self-seeking, a self-gratifying, self-interest-oriented life is not biblical. Amen? And so that's God's exhortation. So firstly, God's expose, where God is exposing them to see this new reality. Hey, you're doing all of this well, but then there's something that is hindering your prayer, something that is, you know, not catching my attention. There's something which is not helpful in us, and that is hindering our blessing. That is hindering our breakthrough. And then he gives an exhortation. Then number three, God's entry. God makes an entry into our lives. When these things are set right, he says, come back to Isaiah 58 verses 8 to 14. Then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will quickly appear. Then your righteousness will go before you and the glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. Then you will call and the Lord will answer. You will cry for help and he will say, here am I. He will come and enter your house. He will come and enter your life. He will come and enter your situation. He will come and meet that need. He will come and solve that problem. He will come and help us. God makes an entry into our lives. Until these things that, uh, uh, you know, are making, with the things that are making us to live two ways, you know, if you're living two different ways, such things will constantly be an hindrance for God to work. That Those will be a constant hindrance for God to have an entry into our lives, into our situations. Here, God is entering their life. God is entering their situation. God is entering into their, uh, you know, uh, needs. And he says, I will be there. I will come. I will help you. And he says, if you do away the yoke of oppression with a pointing finger and malicious talk, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will be like noonday. The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sun-scorched land. And you will be like a well-watered garden, like a spring whose waters never fail. Your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the age-old foundations. You will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. If you keep your feet from breaking the Sabbath and from doing as you please on my holy day, if you call the Sabbath a delight, and the lord's holy day honorable and if you honor it by not doing going your own way and not doing as you please or speaking idle words then you will find your joy in the lord and i will cause you to ride on the heights of the land and to feast on the inheritance of the father of your father jacob the mouth of the lord has spoken once these things are set right then the fasting and the prayer really works then all our spirituality really works when we have done away with the malicious talk, when we have done away with the pointing finger at others, when we have done away with uh, you know, with the yoke of oppression, when we have done away with injustice, when we have done away with manipulation, when we have done away with evil talk, when we have done away with all of those things that are there which very often we fail to detect as sin. When we have done away with those things if they are there in our lives and then we give to the needy, we have a heart of love and compassion for those who are sick, suffering who are in pain, who are helpless, who need comfort. When we have a heart of love for others, then God hears our prayer. Then God makes an entry. Then he gives us a quick breakthrough. Hallelujah. The Bible says in verse number eight, then your light will break forth like the dawn and your healing will appear quickly. The light will dawn in the darkness. Hallelujah. It's only a few hours before the sun rises after the dark. There's a sunrise after darkness. There's hope even in the midst of, you know, distress. In verse 10, and if you spend yourselves on behalf of the hungry and satisfy the needs of the oppressed, then your light will rise in the darkness and your night will become like the noonday. Your night will become like the noonday. Even if it feels like night, there is determination, there is hope, there is strength, there is courage. Even if there is a need, even if there is a problem, even if there is a sickness, even if there is something that is like a night, but the night becomes like a noonday. There's no fear. There's no doubt. There's no anxiety. There's no sleeplessness. There's no restlessness. There's no peacelessness. You come to a place of great peace. Even in night, even if it feels like night, it's like noonday. You start flourishing. Verse eleven: The Lord will guide you always. He will satisfy your needs in a sunscorched land and strengthen your frame. You will be like a well-watered garden and a spring whose waters never fail. You start growing. You start flourishing. You your life becomes very well, like a well-watered garden. It's no more. Your life is not barren. Your life is not dry. Life is not empty. Life is not, you know, with, you know, nothingness. Life becomes good. Life becomes better. You start flourishing. You start growing. It becomes better in your life. Hallelujah. Verse 11. Verse 12. Verse 12 your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and will raise up the old age foundations and you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. You start fixing complicated issues. (laughs) Hallelujah. You see, these are things that begin to happen in your life. Your life becomes very productive. What others will not take up and do, what others cannot handle, you will be able to handle Read in verse 12, your people will rebuild the ancient ruins and raise up the age-old foundations. If you know what is construction, engineering, once it's ancient ruins and age-old foundations, nobody will actually rebuild that. They will demolish and rebuild afresh with new foundation. But God will help you to handle complicated issues. Hallelujah. You begin to function at a different level of grace. When God's favor, God's blessing, God enters our life, when God gives us a breakthrough, when God is really present with us, it's one thing to imagine that God is with us, another thing to see God present with us in reality. Amen. You begin to uh, have the capacity. Your capacity becomes greater. Your skill level grows. Your wisdom is different. Which is God given. You begin to function in a different level of grace. You are able to solve very complicated problems, issues. And you will be called repairer of broken walls, restorer of streets with dwellings. You will be able to build up other people's lives. You begin to flourish, you start fixing other people's lives. You think your life is broken. But when God makes an entry into your life, when we've stopped oppressing the poor, when we've stopped uh, in taking away the yoke of the oppression, when you've stopped pointing fingers and we've stopped malicious talk and we start spending our lives on others, you start becoming very productive. You flourish and you start fixing other people's lives. And then when your Sabbath is your delight, then you will find your joy. God. Hallelujah then you truly become very joyful. True joy comes into our life when, when God becomes a delight, when we've done away with all of these things that have come and corrupted us, things that were difficult to detect as sin and God has helped us to detect this morning, amen? And when we've done away with all of that and ensure that we are not practicing any of these things, which the world practices, which the people of the world practice, maybe it's there in our family culture, maybe for generations they've done that, but let's not do those things anymore in our lives. Hallelujah. That's one of the things which is very popular in our family circles. You know, everywhere people will talk about somebody. I don't think it happens in your families. You know, there'll be a phone call from Bombay to Tirunelweili, from Tirunelweili to Madurai, from Madurai to Chennai, from Chennai to Bangalore, from Bangalore to, you know, U.S. There's a super network. This is a worldwide web you have no idea about. There'll be conversations everywhere all across the globe about, you know, how you didn't put salt in the gravy yesterday. And you happen to be such a poor, pathetic daughter-in-law and that'll get communicated everywhere all over the world. Have you heard of such worldwide web? That's why Indian, you know, telephone connections and networks are thriving. If at all, if you have to get into any business, get into uh, telecommunications, you'll certainly have good success because of all the gossip. But God is saying, get away with all of that. That's, that's part of the culture of the world. That's part of the culture of our families. That's part of the culture that we live in. But let's get rid of this. Those are the things that hinder our blessing. Those are the things that hinder our growth. Those are the things that hinder our breakthroughs. Those are the things that hinder our prayers. Even though we fast and pray. Even though we seek the Lord day after day. It's a hard message. It's a very bitter pill to swallow. But there's no sugar coating for this pill. And God is saying, but you will have a quick breakthrough once God makes an entry into our lives. Hallelujah. We want God to enter our lives in a real way. We don't want to just assume that God is there. But we want God to really enter our lives and hear our prayers and give us a breakthrough and send the blessings that are hindered and open the doors that need to be opened. God has to do that and we want God to do that and we want to seek him day after day. But we want to seek him without any oppression without carrying any yoke of oppression, putting them on others, without pointing fingers on others and malicious talk. And we don't want to spend ourselves, we want to spend ourselves on behalf of the hungry and the needy and the oppressed. That God will have mercy. That God will forgive us. That God's favor will be extended on us for god's favor for god's blessing for a breakthrough for miracles to happen you don't have to go to any prophet you don't have to have anyone place hands on you so that you don't have to give any amount of money to any ministry or any church for god's blessings to come we live our lives right blessings will automatically come hallelujah hallelujah you don't have to do anything else it's not about how much we give it's not about how much we uh you know um Uh, how how many people lay hands on us and pray. It's not about all of that. We live before God. We ask the help of the Holy Spirit to detect sin in our lives and uproot every root of anything that stands in the way from God to bless us. We uproot them and the blessings, the favor of God will certainly flow upon our lives. Amen hallelujah so god will make his powerful entry into our lives and do powerful things and we are here just going to stand and witness the mighty and the powerful work of god and the blessing of god that's going to come through in our lives shall we pray hallelujah father in heaven we thank you and praise you for this wonderful morning thank you lord for helping us to understand your word Thank you, Lord, for helping us to study your word, Lord, clearly, and Lord, verse by verse. Thank you, Lord, for helping us to read the scriptures, helping us to understand. We thank you for your Holy Spirit who has helped us to, Lord, uh, be enlightened this morning. And we pray that, Lord, we will write our lives as according to your word, that we will be a people who will live by your word. And Lord, we will certainly see your blessings come. We will certainly see the benefits, the outcomes of seeking you, Lord, faithfully and sacrificially and sincerely. We will certainly see the miracles happening and the breakthroughs coming, O Father. Lord, we thank you, Lord. Even this morning, we just commit ourselves one more time. Shall we just ask the Lord this morning for forgiveness? If there is any malicious talk, if there is any oppression, if there is any injustice, if there's any manipulation we have done, shall we ask the Lord, Lord, please forgive me. If that, Lord, if we have turned a blind eye to people who are needy. Lord, if we have been hard-hearted, if we have not been merciful. Lord, if we have not had an open hand. Lord, we pray that you'll forgive us, O oh, Father. Forgive us, O oh Lord. We pray that, you'll, that your spirit will constantly help us to detect sin in our lives. We pray for Holy Spirit's conviction to, Lord, help us to eliminate anything, Lord, that can stand in the way of a breakthrough, a blessing, and a miracle that comes. That's, Lord, that Lord, awaits our lives. We pray that you would bless everyone. We pray that you will grant each one a breakthrough that they need, O oh Father. Even as we have heard your word, and as your word says, your word cleanses us, O oh Father. Lord, we thank you for your cleansing that has come upon us through the word of God. And we pray, Lord, that you will give us a breakthrough. We pray that you give us, Lord, the blessings that are needed, that are hindered. We pray that the situations will change, that the people will change, Lord, that circumstances will change. Lord, we pray that things that were long hindered, Lord, will come through in Jesus' name. Hallelujah. We humble ourselves in your mighty presence. We love you, we worship you, we praise you, we glorify you. We love you, we honor you, we magnify your holy name. We give you all the glory, honor and praise. In Jesus' mighty name we pray.